Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Please be advised, the following episode contains scenes of an extremely graphic nature that may be distressing for some listeners. You're listening to Unexplained with me, Richard McLean Smith. Season 3, Episode 12, The Square, Part 2. Although the disturbing Dear Boss letter, as it will come to be known, was received at the Central News Agency on September 27th, it is a further two days before it is passed on to the police who swiftly dismiss it as a hoax. Later that evening, back in the Whitechapel district of East London, PC Lewis Robinson is patrolling Aldgate High Street when he sees a crowd of people gathered around something on the ground. Drawing near, he realises it is a woman sprawled out on the pavement, drunk. PC Robinson pulls her up and implores her to stand, but as soon as he lets her go, she slumps against the wall and slides down slowly back to the ground. Half an hour later, with the help of a colleague, Robinson takes the woman to Bishopsgate Police Station and places her in a cell for the evening. When they ask her name, she tells them only it is nothing. Minutes later, she is fast asleep. It has just gone midnight when station jailer George Hutt hears the unknown woman singing softly from her cell. When he checks on her, she asks to be released, but Hutt insists that she remain there until she is able to take care of herself. Outside, a storm is brewing above the streets of Whitechapel. Shortly before 1am, as a heavy rain starts to fall, Local resident Israel Schwartz turns into Burner Street, just south of Whitechapel Road. Up ahead, he notices a couple standing outside the entranceway to Dutfield's yard, 
overlooked by the International Working Men's Educational Club next door. One of the pair is a man roughly five and a half feet tall, with dark hair and a small brown moustache, wearing a black felt hat with a wide brim. He is standing in front of a woman, who he tries to pull into the street, but she resists. Enraged, he throws her onto the pavement and she lets out three short screams. Schwartz, who had seen the whole incident, responds by crossing the road and walking away. Hearing the man calling out to someone on the other side of the road, Schwartz turns to find a second man is now following him. He breaks into a run, making a sharp exit from the scene. Back at Bishopsgate Police Station, Hutt, the jailer, has been instructed to make more room in the cells. Deciding the unknown woman is now sober enough to be released, he agrees to let her go in return for her giving him her name. She replies it is Mary Ann Kelly, though in truth it is Kate Eddowes. The 46-year-old Eddowes was originally from Wolverhampton in the Midlands of England, but had spent the last seven years living at Cooney's Lodging House in Flower and Dean Street, where she later met and fell in love with a man called John Kelly. Only the previous day, Eddowes and Kelly had been forced to pawn a pair of Kelly's boots to afford their last meal. I should get a damn fine hiding when I get home, says Eddowes, as she leaves the police station and steps into the night. Good night, old cock. Hutt watches as she heads off in the direction of Aldgate High Street, where she had been found earlier. Minutes later, back on Burner Street, 26-year-old Louis Diemschutz, an educated immigrant from Russia, forced to flee from the recent pogroms, now working as a part-time jeweller, rides his cart into Burner Street, With voices of song drifting down from the working men's club above, he turns through the open gates into the pitch black of Dutfield's yard, only for his pony to rear up unexpectedly. Something was lying on the ground just in front of the cart. Probing at it with his whip, he found it to be soft and lumpen, before realising it was a woman, lying unresponsive and probably drunk, he thought. Jumping down from the cart, He lit a match and held it into the gloom, having just enough time to confirm it was indeed a woman lying there, before the wind blew it out. After unsuccessfully trying to rouse her, Lewis grabbed a couple of members from the club to give him a hand. Stepping back into the yard a moment later, Lewis is a little surprised to find the woman exactly as he had left her. One of the men took another match, lighting it before holding it down to the woman's face and dropping it with a scream. The flame flickered gently on the ground, illuminating the horrific, glistening tear across the throat from which her blood was still oozing out onto the road. They also saw a black crepe bonnet lying in the mud beside her and a bunch of grapes clutched in her hand before a sudden wind snuffed out the match and restored the darkness. Lighting another, 
They checked for any signs of life, but found none. Though the body was still warm, suggesting death had occurred only minutes before. A doctor, arriving minutes later, pronounces the woman dead at the scene, having suffered two deep cuts to her throat, similar to Polly Nichols and Annie Chapman. But something of the scene suggests the killer might have been disturbed before they had completed what they had started. Policemen arriving soon after waste little time in corralling all members of the nearby working men's club into Dutfield's yard and ordering them to stay put until they were satisfied they had not been involved. That the members of the club were largely Jewish, socialist or Irish did little to dampen police suspicions of their possible guilt. Meanwhile, a moustachioed man, late 30s to early 40s, wearing a loose-fitting pepper-coloured jacket and a peaked grey cloth cap, is walking swiftly through the streets of the East End, moving west from the vicinity of Burner Street toward Duke Street. Just after 1.30, three men stepping out of the Imperial Club on Duke Street, barely ten minutes' walk from Bishopsgate Police Station, spot the man with the grey cloth cap talking to Kate Eddowes before they disappear together into the shadows toward Mitre Square. Only fifteen minutes later, PC Edward Watkins, walking his usual beat, steps into the darkness of Mitre Square and shines his light into it. Angling the beam into the far corner, he is moving it slowly from one side to the other when he picks up the body of Kate Eddowes. The body was lying on its back, the clothes having been thrown up and the upper part of a dress being ripped open. Like all the other victims, there was little blood on the clothes, suggesting she had been bled to death before she was mutilated. Eddowes had been disemboweled, while her uterus and a kidney had also been completely removed. Both her eyelids had been cut through and the right ear partially amputated, as had been predicted in the Dear Boss letter. An incision had been made in each side of the cheek, which peeled up the skin and created a triangular flap. It seemed ritualistic. Some have suggested the triangular cuts were reminiscent of compass legs or the set square of Freemason symbolism. Curiously, part of Edo's apron, which she wore over her dress, had been cut off. An hour later, PC Alfred Long is walking down Galston Street only five minutes from Mitre Square when he notices a scrap of fabric on the ground in front of a doorway. Pointing his torch toward it, he realises it is covered in blood. Moving the torch up to the door, he discovers some graffiti written in chalk that he is convinced had not been there when he came by 30 minutes ago. It reads, The Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. Long heads immediately to the nearest station, to report his find. The scrap of blood-stained material 
is later identified as likely being from the apron that Kate Eddowes had been wearing. Two hours later, Sir Charles Warren, Commissioner of London's Metropolitan Police and prominent Freemason, is woken up with news of two further possible victims of the apparent East London serial killer. Strangely, however, rather than head directly to the crime scenes, he heads instead to the doorway on Goulston Street. After taking a while to analyse the peculiar message, he orders it immediately to be scrubbed off. Shortly after, he is led to the scene of the night's first murder, where five separate witnesses tell him the victim had been holding a bunch of grapes when she was murdered. Later that morning, before news of the murders has hit the newsstands, a postcard arrives at the offices of the Central News Agency, reading, I was not kidding, dear old boss, when I gave you the tip. You'll hear about Saucy Jackie's work tomorrow. Double event this time. Number one squealed a bit, couldn't finish straight off. Not the time to get ears for police. Thanks for keeping the last letter back till I got to work again. Jack the Ripper. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teledoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. The following day, an inquest is held for the woman found murdered in Dutfield's yard. She is identified as 44-year-old Elizabeth Stride. Born Elizabeth Gustafsdotter, she had moved to England in 1866 from Sweden and married John Stride three years later. The pair successfully managed coffee shops for a number of years before the marriage fell apart. By the mid-1880s, she was struggling to stay afloat, moving from workhouse to lodging house when she could afford it. In 1885, she begins a relationship with Michael Kidney, who worked on the docks in the East End. But three years later, it too is on the rocks. Having grown tired of his beatings, it was on September 25th, 1888, she left their home for good, vowing never to go back. Five days later, she was dead. At the inquest, Thomas Bates, the night watchman of the lodging house where Elizabeth had been staying on the night of her murder, explained with sadness that even when she could get no work, she had done the best with her living. And a neater and cleaner woman had never lived. What wasn't mentioned at the inquest, however, which was presided over by lawyer and also prominent Freemason, 
Wynne Baxter, were the grapes that had been seen in Stride's hand by five different witnesses. It was an admission made all the more intriguing since only two doors down from where Stride's body had been found off Burner Street was a greengrocer's which coincidentally sold grapes. With the possibility that the shopkeeper might have sold the grapes to Elizabeth or more likely whomever had given them to her there was a good chance he had seen the killer. Strangely, for some reason the police seemed little interested in this line of inquiry. Two days later, however, an extraordinary story is published in the London Evening News. The article owes much to the work of two private detectives who, having decided to conduct their own investigations into the crimes, took the trouble to interview the greengrocer on Burner Street. What he told them was startling. As it turned out, the shopkeeper, Matthew Packer, had indeed sold a man and a woman a bunch of black grapes at 11.45pm, only a short time before the murder. More to the point, he was absolutely convinced that the woman in question was Elizabeth Stride. He described the man as being quite well-to-do in his late 30s to early 40s, around 5 foot 7 with a moustache and wearing dark clothes and a wide-brimmed hat. The police never contacted him for a statement. The very next day, as if in response to the article, Dr Phillips, the police surgeon, is hurriedly recalled to the inquest to make the claim that there was no evidence that the deceased had swallowed either the skin or seed of a grape, making no mention of the five separate individuals who had seen her dead body with a bunch of them clenched in her hand. Elizabeth Stride was buried at the East London Cemetery in Plystow on Saturday, October 6th. Soon, public anger was growing at the apparent ineptitude of the police, seemingly unable to stop the murderer, who appears now to be operating in plain sight. The publishing of the Jack the Ripper letters serves only to intensify the fear and anxiety. In early September, the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee had been formed by a small group of East End businessmen concerned that the recent murders were bad for local business. The committee, led by George Lusk, would meet at the Crown Pub on Mile End Road at 9pm each evening and from there begin their patrols of the local streets until the early hours of the next morning. On October 16th, George Lusk received a small cardboard box in the mail. He opened it to find half a human kidney preserved in wine. A letter accompanying the gruesome gift read, From hell. Mr. Lusk, Sir, I send you half the kidney I took from one woman and preserved it for you. The other piece I fried and ate, and it was very nice. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you only wait a while longer. Signed, Catch me when you can. Mr. Lusk. The piece of kidney was taken to nearby London Hospital, where it was examined by surgeon Dr. Thomas Openshaw. He identified it as human and from the left side of the body. 
similar to the one that had been removed from Kate Eddowes's body. In the weeks that followed, the press and police receive a number of letters purportedly written by the apparently self-styled Jack the Ripper, but few, if any, are given any credibility. More importantly, with no further attacks recorded throughout the rest of October, it appears the supposed serial killer haunting the streets of Whitechapel has gone to ground. On November 9th, at 2am in the morning, Whitechapel resident George Hutchinson is walking past Flower and Dean Street when he is approached by Mary Jane Kelly, a young woman he knew from the area. The 25-year-old Kelly asks Hutchinson if he can lend her some money, but he is unable to spare any. Saying their goodbyes, he watches her approach a man further down the street. He is just over five and a half feet tall, in his late thirties, with dark hair and a slight moustache turned up at the sides, wearing a long dark coat and a soft felt hat pulled down over his eyes. Before long, the two are laughing together, and a moment later, placing a hand on Mary Jane's shoulder, the man is leading her off toward Dorset Street. Concerned for his friend, who he knew to be an occasional sex worker, Hutchinson followed Mary Jane and the mysterious man all the way to Miller's Court, where the young woman lived. Hutchinson waits there until 3am when he is satisfied she was not in any lethal danger and makes his way home. Mary Jane had shared the flat with her on-off boyfriend, Joseph Barnett, but the two had broken up recently due to her habit of inviting friends to stay when they had nowhere else to go. Mary Jane was six weeks behind on the rent and had little choice but to work that night. At 10.45 the next morning, Thomas Bowyer, assistant to the landlord, arrived at Mary Jane's apartment to collect her overdue rent. After knocking at the door but getting no response, he reached through a crack in a window and pushed aside a coat that had been placed there as a curtain, finding behind it a scene of unimaginable horror. What was left of Mary Jane Kelly's body lay on the bed at the back of the small single room, with her clothes neatly folded on a chair to the side. The entirety of the abdomen and surface of the thighs had been carved away, so much as to reveal the thigh bone. The muscle and skin that had been removed was piled up on a side table. Her uterus, kidneys and one breast had been placed under her head. The other breast was cut off and placed at her feet, as was her liver. Her intestines and spleen had also been removed and placed outside the body. Her face had been entirely mutilated beyond recognition, and her heart, that was never found, removed from her chest. At her inquest, a devastated Joseph Barnett chastised himself for getting annoyed at her for letting her friends stay in their apartment, recognising that she only did it because she was good-hearted and did not like to refuse them shelter on cold, bitter nights. Mary Jane Kelly 
was buried on 19th November in St. Patrick's Cemetery in Leytonstone. No family could be found to attend the funeral. Kelly is widely thought to be the fifth and final victim of the murders associated with the name Jack the Ripper, though many believe a number of attacks prior to the murder of Polly Nichols, including the murder of Martha Tabram in August 1888, could well have been perpetrated by the same man, the identity of whom remains to this day unknown. Next week's episode extra will conclude season three of Unexplained. Fear not, however, it will be only the briefest of pauses before we return for season four. Thank you once again for all your support and encouragement for the show, and as ever, for taking the time to listen. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or on Twitter at unexplainedpod. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T dot com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. 
When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway.